0: So Money, episode 344, Michael Roderick.
1: You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Karabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money.
0: So Money is brought to you today by Wix.com. Need a website? Why not do it yourself with Wix.com? No matter what business you're in, Wix.com has something for you. Used by more than 75 million people worldwide. Wix.com makes it easy to get your website live today. You need to get the word out about your business. It all starts with a stunning website with hundreds of designer made customizable templates to choose from, the drag and drop editor, and even video backgrounds. There's no coding needed. You don't need to be a programmer or designer to create something beautiful. You can do it yourself with Wix.com. The site empowers business owners to create their own professional websites every day. When you're running your own business, you're bound to be busy, too busy, too busy worrying about your budget, too busy scheduling appointments, too busy to build a Website for your business. And because you're too busy, it has to be easy. And that's where Wix.com comes in. With Wix, it's easy and free. Go to Wix.com to create your own website today. Welcome back to So Money, everyone. Thanks for joining me. I'm your host, Farnush Tarabi. A pleasure to be here. Hope you're having a great start to your week. Our show today is about relationship strategy. Do you have a relationship strategy? I've heard of the expression that you're the average of the five people you spend most of your time with. Think about that. Do you like these five people? Do they support you? Do they reciprocate the help and advice that you give? Or is it really a one-way street? Well, our guest today is an expert in helping people strategize relationship building. Michael Roderick is the CEO of Small Pond Enterprises, which is a consulting company and educational resource for solopreneurs, entrepreneurs, and intrapreneurs. I had to look that word up, intrapreneur. It says it's someone who works inside a company who exhibits entrepreneurial qualities. It's pretty cool. Michael was once a high school teacher turned Broadway producer in less than two years. And that experience led him to start an arts incubator program where he was teaching fellow artists how to build and grow their own businesses Eventually, he developed a workshop on networking, which grew into a full fledged consulting practice. That's how Small Pond Enterprises was born. With Michael, we chat about his financial mistake that got him $25,000 in the hole and the first step he took to bounce back. We also discuss his number one rule when it comes to creating connections for people. He doesn't connect everyone. We'll learn who gets to be so lucky and how to lose the friends you don't want or need and gain the ones who can actually be of value to you in your life and that you can be of value to each other. Here we go. Here's Michael Roderick. Michael Roderick, welcome to So Money. Happy New Year. Excited to learn about relationship strategy.
1: Thanks. Uh, yeah, I, um, I'm really excited to have a chance to chat more about it with you as well. You've made a career
0: out of this. Um, many of us know the importance of relationships. We know the expression that it's not just what you know, it's who you know. Tell us a little bit about Small Pond Enterprises and, and how you help your clients with relationship strategy. Is that something that you invented <laughs> well,
1: it's it's actually interesting. I uh, was originally thinking about it from the standpoint of relationship strategy, but over the past year, uh, I've actually changed the term to relationship design. And the reason why is that in a strategy, you're basically saying, if I do this, I'm going to get this particular result. And one of the things that I've learned about relationships is that it really is never that type of situation where you can say, OK, if I do these things, this person will act this way. We can't really control how somebody else is going to react or, or sort of interact with us. So I started to think about it more from the standpoint of, well, what if we made it more about the idea of design and really thinking about how do we bring the best people into our lives who are going to be the most supportive and the most helpful and really focus on those folks and and moving things forward and sort of helping them out.
0: One of the things that you advocate for is to discover who are the people in your lives who are holding you back, and Mm -hmm. then those that can actually help you. How do you determine who those people are, and then how do you part ways? Because I think that's a big challenge. I've broken up with friends over the years, but it's always been awkward, and it's usually... (laughs) It means not returning their phone calls, which I'm not proud of, but there's no clean way to break away from a friendship or a work relationship.
1: Yeah, it's definitely it's definitely a challenge, um, but I think it comes down to the idea of a lot of the time we sort of think about it as we're saying no to this person or we're saying no to this relationship. And I always look at it more from the standpoint of things just aren't really necessarily a fit. Uh, and rather than saying when I used to work on shows and people would reach out to me and say, can you produce my show? Can you be involved in my show? If I read the script and I wasn't a fan, I would never say your script is awful. I don't like this. I I would always say, you know, I gave it a read and it's actually not a fit. And I think that there are other people out there who it is a fit for. So I think that if you're in that situation where you're starting to find that certain relationships are no longer working and you know that it's really not going to not going to go anywhere else, then having that conversation about I feel like things really aren't working out and also thinking about who else could you potentially send them to? What else could you do for the person? I think sometimes we, you know, we have certain relationships and we say, you know what, it's not, it's not working out. And we sort of like drop everything cold turkey. I like to try and think about it from the standpoint of, can I add a little bit of value or can I sort of help this person in some way if we're not going to be able to spend as much time together anymore?
0: So it's not you, it's me is the strategy and make it about the fit and try to get them some, uh, some support, some help as an exit strategy.
1: Yeah, I I think that anytime that you have to say no or anytime that you have to kind of let let things go, that's going to be painful for the other person. So anything that you can do to make it so that there is less pain mm. is always a good idea.
0: You mentioned your experience as a Broadway producer, you were a high school school teacher, then became a Broadway producer in under 2 years. How did you make such a fast climb and what was the moment that you discovered during this process, or maybe it wasn't, maybe it was some other time, but I'm, I'm curious to know when you realized that you wanted to turn your ability to produce and connect and, and strategize and design p- relationships to an actual profession.
1: Sure. In the producing worlds, the biggest thing is actually credit So for most producers, when you go out there and you decide that you really want to be a Broadway producer, it's all about, can you raise a certain amount of money to get your name above the title? And that was what everybody was kind of searching for and sort of pushing for. And what I realized was that most producers were kind of leery of somebody who was new coming to the table and saying, I really want to raise this money and I want to get this credit and all these different types of things. So one of the things that I did that worked really well was I just found other producers that were getting started and sort of move on their way up. And I said, listen, I just want to get better at raising money and I don't need credit right now. I'm more than happy to start floating things out there and try to develop some deal flow and just learn as opposed to saying, I want to be, I, I want to have this credit. And what happened was word got around that I was this person who was thoughtful and giving and sort of helping. And I was connecting other producers to projects if they weren't really a fit for me. So eventually one of the larger scale producers I knew came to me and actually offered me credit on a show in a much, much shorter timeframe than a lot of other people take to sort of make, make it happen. And in thinking about all these different things, uh, I'll never forget the moment that I made the decision to move away from teaching was I was on the subway and I was reading Seth Godin's book Lynchpin. And it was the chapter where he was discussing the idea of the factory worker and how the factory worker was basically somebody who could be replaced. And I just had this thought of I'm I'm a factory worker. I'm being pushed to try and get kids to pass some sort of standardized test. The way that I want to educate is not going to continue to is, – is not going to continue to move forward. So I said, you know what? I'm going to step outside of – I'm going to step outside of this. I'm going to move on. And I'm going to teach something that I'm really, really passionate about. I'm going to use my talent for teaching to help people understand the power of developing and cultivating and building relationships.
0: Because really, the upshot, the upside to to implementing your strategy and your design is what? That, like, give us some examples of your clients
1: before and afters. Sure. So one of the biggest things is actually getting the client to understand the importance of taking a look at their existing network. So the way that I like to look at it, is we all have a network. We all have a group of people sort of within our community that we know or that we've worked with, whether that be the number of people that we have connected with on LinkedIn or social media or just a list somewhere of folks that we've spent time with. But if you imagine that network as a bucket of change, you could have $2 in that bucket or you could have $2,000. And you don't actually know until you sit down and figure out who are the quarters, who are the nickels, who are the pennies. And a lot of what I would do with clients when I I would get started was to say, okay, let's take a second to sit down and say, out of this list of people that you know and that you've developed relationships with, who is an actual advocate for you? Who's really helping you? Who is interested in your success as you are in theirs? And on the flip side, who is more of a drain? Who's somebody who's causing you to feel like they're always coming to you or sort of asking you for things or they always need something from you, but they never really kind of help you out? And based on that, who are you spending more time with and who are you willing to spend those, uh, that time with? So one of my clients is a commercial director. And one of the challenges was he was taking almost every meeting that was coming his way. So what we did was we sat down and said, okay, what are the qualities of the people that you've really enjoyed working with? Now, when you get an introduction, did that introduction come from an advocate? Did that come from somebody who's really going to support you? Then maybe you want to meet that person faster than the sort of random person who came or the person who just, who was introduced to you by somebody else in your life who's draining. And the second he decided to start curating that network and be really thoughtful about what he said yes to and what he said no to, he basically started booking jobs left and right. And he ended up booking six jobs in about six months. And for commercial directors, usually they're floating around quite a bit. But by really focusing and spending more time with the people who were as invested in his success as he was in theirs, he found more opportunities and more possibilities.
0: What about... If you're an introvert, how do you? What's does your advice change for these types of folks? And 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 you know, in, not to say that introversion is a bad thing because we know, like I read the book Quiet. It's actually could be a, an asset. How do you uh, take advantage of that
1: in these scenarios? Sure, I think that with introversion. You need a lot of time to recuperate if you go to sort of a large scale event or a big, or a big thing. And also, you really need to spend more time digging in with people. You're, you're much more one to one and you enjoy that. So, as an introvert, I think one of the best things you can do is actually host. So, whether it be that you're hosting a small dinner or a small gathering, or you're just getting a, a group of people together for coffee, if you're in the position of being the host, that element of sort of having to sell yourself and being in this massive room and running around is is gone. And you can actually spend the time to really get to know people on a much, much deeper level and kind of move through move through that. So I think if you're an introvert, your best bet is to find opportunities where you're the one sort of bringing everybody together. Because when you do that, you have that opportunity to be more in that sort of quiet, quiet space.
0: You are probably one of the most well-connected people I know. How do you decide, Michael, who gets to be in your club and who doesn't? How do you go about designing your relationship strategy?
1: It's one of those things where I really look at it from the standpoint of like attracts like. So if I've had a really amazing meeting with somebody or if I've had a really great conversation with somebody and they've been supportive and helpful, then most of the time who they send my way is of a similar ilk. Every once in a while it's going to be a little bit different, but I really pay attention to who in life. I like to say who in life throws the ball back. So if you're going to help somebody or support them, who says thank you? Who really is thoughtful? Who's asking you how things are going and, and sort of what's going on? And I look for those those types of things in designing. But the other thing that's really important that I think we forget about is that there's the, there was the study done known as the law of weak ties. And the idea of the study was the fact that your strongest results often come from your weakest connections. So the study was a college professor looked at two groups of students, one group asked their best friends and closest friends for job opportunities. And one group asked people that they kind of barely knew or who were in different industries. And the second group outperformed the first. So based on that idea, I also make sure that I don't just stay in one small circle. So I don't only know people within the entertainment business. I know people within the tech world. I know people within the finance world. I try to sort of find different opportunities in different types of places. But I do have one strict rule. I do everything in my power to only introduce good people to good people. And that has served me better than any, anything else. Mm-hmm. And it's helped with that design and with that development.
0: I have an idea of what good means. But tell us your definition of a good person.
1: So a good person is somebody who listens. A good person is somebody who is as invested in your success as you are in theirs. A good person is somebody who really takes the time to think about you. A good person understands the difference between a gift and a transaction. A gift is when we give and there is no expectation of return. And a transaction is when we're basically saying, I'm going to do this and I'm expecting this thing back. And I think people who are thoughtful givers and who are helpful, they just, they attract that same type of person. And those are the type of people you want to spend a lot of time with. And, and those are the ones who send a lot of great opportunities your way.
0: Let's switch gears now, Michael, and talk a little bit about money as after all, (laughs) given the show, you have very strong convictions when it comes to building relationships. When it comes to money, what's your financial philosophy?
1: So my financial philosophy is to just spend as much time being conscious of what's going on with money as possible. So so I think that one of the biggest mistakes that I made when I was early on in the producing world was always thinking, oh, well, I can just spend this obscene amount of money and it'll be totally fine. And there were many times where I banked on the fact the show would sell out and it didn't sell out. Or I banked on the fact that somebody was going to hire me for a general management gig and it didn't happen. So now I'm much more thoughtful about what am I doing? How am I spending? Where am I? Where am I focusing?
0: Tell us a little story. Go down memory lane, Michael. And even before you were a Broadway producer, something – Uh, from your childhood perhaps that for you was a pivotal financial experience what happened
1: sure Sure. so I was in high school and I uh, had a band called morbid cappuccino uh, which is usually a (laughs) fun (laughs) morbid cappuccino
0: Yep. <laughs> cappuccino cannot uh, be. How can a cappuccino be morbid? But I guess that's the uh, point, right?
1: Exactly. It was one of those like you know you just wanted to be sort of as <laughs> as ironic oh, cool. and sort of weird yeah. as possible, right? And uh, I remembered we were um, we basically were trying to sort of find an opportunity to do more gigs and have more things happen. And what what happened was there was a sound system that this guy I had been working for was selling and he was selling it for $300. And I remember going to my parents and being like, this PA system will like change my life. It'll be amazing. And my parents at the time were just like, Nope, there's just no way we're spending $300 on something like that. And I went to my room and I was really, really frustrated and I knocked over this jar of change uh actually no it was a cup it was one of those like big gulp cups that they uh that they used to have with all the comic book characters on it and the change fell out all over the floor and i had this moment where i was like it it's ridiculous but what if i just counted this change and there was three hundred dollars wow in that change. And it just taught me how many, many times there's so many things in our lives that we don't realize we have. There's so much value out there and we don't necessarily know that we have it. And that aspect of sort of looking back and saying, what do we actually have? What resources do we have? And, and putting those to work, uh, that, that always sort of sticks with me.
0: I love collecting coins. In fact, I have a very full jar. I'm one of those. I, I've joked about this on the show before, but I love going to the bank with my jar and getting the uh, just getting it redeemed. I'm I'm in line with a bunch <laughs> of six year old kids, and <laughs> yep. I love it. It's one of my guilty childhood pleasures. I love that story. What oh, about thank you? Yeah. Um, so that wasn't a failure. I think that would that would be categorized as a success. And, and yeah. did it did it change your life? Did it change your
1: game? It definitely, I mean, that de- that has definitely changed, changed a lot of things for me because now whenever I'm stuck, I always ask myself, what am I not looking at? So a lot of the time when, when something goes wrong, to speak to failure, the way I look at it is that failure is nothing more than an opportunity to learn. So I always look at it from the standpoint of when something goes wrong, I kind of look at the wreckage of whatever that thing is. And I try to find what is it that I can learn and where are the next opportunities. So I'll often say that for every single person who takes uh, something broken and tosses it on the ground, there's somebody else who comes along and picks up that broken thing and turns it into the iPhone. And it's just one of those things where the more that I look at whenever something goes really, really awful, I just say, okay, this is new information, and I'm gonna use this new information to try and figure out the best way to fix this problem or sort of change this, uh, change this situation.
0: When you were living in New York as a producer, I, I I can I'm guessing it wasn't you weren't rolling in the dough.
1: Oh no, no, no. <laughs> it's it, you know, one of the one of the jokes that they make about producing is that you can't make a living, but you can make a killing. And it's totally true. If you are responsible for raising money in essence, most of the time, most of the shows don't make their money back. And in many cases, they lose an obscene amount of money. So anytime you're going to somebody who's going to invest in a Broadway show, you have to have this conversation of, listen, this is like going to the slot machine. Uh, it's, it may not work out for you. And you're not getting paid as a producer until the show recoups its investment. So you can't really make money as a producer unless you have a massive, massive hit. So I had to always look at what are the other ways that a producer can make money. So for me, that was general management, where there were a lot of people who did not want to deal with all of the logistics of producing a show and putting a project together. So they would hire me to do that. They would hire me to be the, the line producer. But on the fundraising side, it was just me going out there and asking people for money, getting them to invest. And if it worked out, fantastic. But for the most part, you don't make a ton of money doing that work.
0: Any sense of what does equate to a Broadway success these days? You think that with sometimes casting celebrities or uh, a classic, you know, I know Fiddler on the Roof is back. Um, Mm -hmm. What in your in your experience, what are the ingredients for success, even though there's really no definitive uh, strategy? But from your experience, what has worked?
1: I think what what's worked in the past has been either something that you can't explain it in person. People have to go and see it. Um, I think that if you're able to if if you're able to just sort of be like, well, this is what the show is about. Then most of the time people are like, OK, well, I'll see it whenever. But if you say, listen, I saw the show and I can't even tell you but i was crying the whole time and it was amazing and i can't even tell you like what what they did you just have to see it most of the time people will go and they'll and they'll check it out i also think that the shows that do really really well on broadway are the ones that have an understanding of their marketing and that are really really smart about communicating what the show is about in a very very succinct way because one of the things that a lot of people don't know is that most of the broadway money is coming from tourists so if somebody's new new to the city or just got here or if somebody's visiting they're looking at a poster and in many cases making their decision based on the poster so what is it that you're doing to really communicate what, what your show's about? And I, and I would actually do that with a lot of clients. I'd have conversations about how is your business like a Broadway show? How are you making it so clear when somebody looks at what you do that they're like, that's what I want to see. That's what, what I want to do.
0: We uh, talk about habits on this show a lot. And with regards to your money, Michael, what's a financial habit that you practice regularly that keeps your financial health in check?
1: I remember seeing an interview um, at at one point. I, I read a lot and I, I listen to a lot of podcasts and interviews and all different things. And somebody had mentioned the fact that every morning they look at their accounts first thing. And I started doing that, and that has been enormously helpful. Just that aspect of going and looking and saying, okay, what's actually going on and just being conscious of that for the day has been really, really helpful for me because when I was when when I was producing and and working in, you know, that that world, I was always really bad about ever looking at my money. I was always like, Oh, you know, um, I, I totally have plenty of money. Here's my card, here's my card and I'd be like buying lunches for people and doing all this stuff and next thing I knew I'd be broke. Yeah. So so now I really look every day and say, okay, what's realistic? What's making sense? What do I need to do to kind of move move things forward?
0: I think you're such a wonderful example of how niceness pays off and being authentic and real and kind is something that even in this day and age when things I feel can sometimes get really – Challenging and cutthroat that that does prevail, that, that that persevere, I should say, that being kind is something that, um, in the end, nice, nice finish first.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> they do. Let's talk about some hypotheticals now, Michael. This is the part of the show where I throw up. I throw, I throw up. Yeah, I'm going to throw up now. This is, <laughs> oh my gosh. I haven't done a recording since oh, wow. the holidays, so I'm uh, a little rusty. This is, the part of, this is the part of the show where I throw out some hypothetical situations, and uh, really it's okay. an unfinished sentence, and you finish it for me, first thing that comes to mind. If I won the lottery tomorrow, let's say you won Powerball, the first thing I would do is?
1: So I have had some really, really rough moments in, in my life, uh, and I would think about, is there anybody right now that I know that's having like a super, super rough moment, and could I do something to help them right away? Um, that would be, that would be sort of the, the starting point for me, I think.
0: What's the rough points? Uh, Would you be willing to share one? Of
1: of course. Yeah. I've had instances where when I was first producing, uh, I made a lot of poor decisions about who I decided to work with. Uh, and I had a lot of people who would be like, oh, um, the money is going to come in. We've got donations coming for the show or we've got this thing happening. We've got that thing happening. So I ended up actually losing roughly about 25,000 of my own money. Um, And I'll never forget. It was right around Christmas. uh, I had to go home for Christmas with no money and basically write IOUs to my family and be like, I have no money to buy gifts for anybody. And this was while I was still teaching. So, so To give you an idea, I was I was blowing both the money that I had made as a teacher and the money that I was making as a producer because people were telling me that more money was going to actually come in and things and things were going to happen. So it was such a it was a really, really rough time. And I remember going home and basically being like, this will not happen again. And when I got back to the city, the first thing I did was hire a lawyer. To write contracts for the work that I would do as a as a producer, so that I wouldn't be in that situation again, where somebody was basically like, "Oh, well, we'll just split the profits, and it'll totally work out." In the off-off Broadway world, before you get to Broadway, there is no profit. You know, most of the shows don't make don't make absolutely anything, and these are twenty five thousand dollars shows. So that was, I would say, probably one of the uh, one of the tougher one of the tougher moments for sure how long did it take for you to turn things around uh it took a a good couple of months um and it probably took uh i would say it probably took about 3 months before things got back to before things got back to normal and i was actually lucky that i still had my teaching job because i was still getting a steady paycheck you know it wasn't uh, i wasn't in sort of the entrepreneur space of now you got to figure it out and and just sort of find this money find this money on your own so that was, that was a big factor. But I can imagine that if I didn't have that steady teaching job, it probably would have taken me a lot longer to, to get back to normal. But the other thing that was big was I really focused on finding paying gigs and finding things that were bigger on the producing side so that I could make that money back faster for sure.
0: One thing that I spend my money on that makes my life easier or better
1: is... Education, going to mastermind retreats, uh, going to uh, conferences or places where there's going to be some really good, really good information. I buy a lot of books. Um, anything that I'm really interested in, I will, I, I'll buy books on and sort of look at and, and think about. I've bought you know online courses, uh, and I have found that that spending that money is such a powerful investment it's the things that I learn and the ways that it helped me with my business are just off the charts so I always really focus on spending money on more education to to figure out the things I need to figure out
0: my number one mentor right now is
1: ooh number one mentor um so I'm going to say there's uh, I'm going to say there's two right now. Um, uh, and it's uh, Brian Kurtz and uh, Don Hopman, who are both in sort of the direct response copywriting world. Uh, so I've been getting more involved in that world and, and learning more about sort of writing copy. And they have just been phenomenal and so helpful and so thoughtful in that process.
0: So tell me a little bit more about that. What's, can you, what, how does that look like in action?
1: Direct response copywriting is focused around the idea of you're writing copy so that people will respond to you. So in some cases, you're writing it from a sales letter standpoint where somebody's going to buy something from you. But in other cases, it's you're writing it so that somebody will maybe put in their email address or be willing to, you know, download your free, your free item. Oh, I see. Yeah. And I've always been really fascinated with that world and really interested in that world. Having been a writer myself, I've been a published playwright and I've, I've, I've done a lot of writing and it's really interesting to see how, if you change the language that you're using, how certain people are more willing to buy or more willing to, sign up for something and be a part of that so learning from people who have done that kind of work and thinking about the language that i use when i write a sales letter or the language that i use when i write a page about an event that i'm throwing is such a powerful thing
0: you're right it's an, it's a growing industry and it's an art and it takes a lot of understanding human psychology
1: oh yeah it's it's so important to have that have that understanding One of my first mentors was uh, this guy, Ken Davenport, uh, who's currently a Broadway producer. And one of the best books Ken ever gave me was this book called Influence by Robert Cialdini. And it was basically a book that broke down all of the different reasons why we say yes to things from a psychological standpoint. So he was doing all these studies with compliance professionals and figuring out why they why he would say yes, even though there were moments where he was like, I'm not really sure if I should. And the book was absolutely fascinating. And now any time that I'm writing something or working on something, I think about what are those triggers? What are those things that are causing people to either want to say yes or no based on based on the things that that book contributes in regards to psychology?
0: Here's the next one. One thing I wish I learned about money growing up is?
1: To be more, con- I, I really think to be more conscious of it. All my, I would say ever since I was very, very young, the whole like money burns a hole in your pocket always applied to me. I was always like, oh, no, it's totally fine. There'll be mm-hmm. more. There'll be more. There'll be more. Mm-hmm. And I wish somebody had sort of sat me down and been like, stop doing that. <laughs> um, you know, I think that that's definitely the thing that I would go with.
0: There's only more if you put more in there.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> it doesn't just appear. Yeah. Uh, a couple more. When I donate, I like to give to blank because?
1: Uh, I like to give to artistic Projects, uh, so whether that be Kickstarter campaigns or theater companies that I think are doing really great work, uh, I like to support artists who are getting started, who are trying to make make things happen. Um, that's really where I focus most uh, most of the donations donations that I make.
0: And last but not least, I'm Michael Roderick, and I'm so money because.
1: <laughs> uh, I'm so money because I'm focused on teaching people how to fish uh, so that they can have better lives.
0: Well, thank you so much, Michael. What a great, inspiring conversation to help us launch the new year. Wishing you continued success. Thanks for having me. That's a wrap. If you'd like to learn more about Michael, his website is smallpondenterprises.com. He's also on Twitter at Michael Roderick. You can get the transcript for this episode as well as the audio, and you can leave a comment at somoneypodcast.com. Hope to see you there. Hope you'll spend some time on the site. Click on Ask News. leave me a question, sign up for the email list, get your free gift. It's a really fun community and I hope you'll join in on the fun this year. Lots in store. We've got the CNBC show, the podcast is growing, and this is the year for us to really connect. I'm trying to develop more content for you, so really looking forward to hearing back about what's on your money mind and how I can be of service to you in the new year. Thanks so much for tuning in, everyone. Hope your day is so money.